0: Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie.
1: I'm Elliot.
0: We're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender.
1: No housekeeping this week. so (laughs) We haven't
0: had housekeeping in weeks. We got a clean house.
1: (laughs) So let's get into the movies that we watched. We watched four smackeroonies. So a bit of a lighter week, but a purposeful week, we'll say. I don't
0: know. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, do tell." What was the purpose? The purpose was we, to watch movies. We
1: didn't have a lot of time to watch a lot of movies,
0: but we did have time to watch four,
1: four. movies. Yeah, let's 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 get into it.
0: All right, I picked the first mystery movie pick of the week. Um, we had our friend Lori, who I've known for for many years. Um, And is a filmmaker and has the podcast Queer Horror Cult. She, when she was on our show, we talked about how she has an extensively impressive collection of movies. Almost an understatement. uh... That is an understatement. Like, until you stand in front of that collection, you have no idea how impressive it is. And the thing is, it's predominantly horror. Mm -hmm. So if there's basically any horror movie or horror adjacent movie, there's a high chance that Lori owns it. And so I kind of went through my watch list and looked at um, what films I want to watch horror films that aren't on any streaming services or at the library, um, because we're trying to save a little money right now.
1: Yeah. Thanks for nothing, Bank of Canada.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Um, And then I I asked to borrow those from Lori, so this was one of them. I... Was trying to decide which of the movies I borrowed from her I wanted to pick. And then I unexpectedly saw on Instagram that apparently this film is a Christmas film and I had no idea. So I picked the 2007 extreme horror movie.
1: <laughs> is that somewhere? No, I just said that. Oh, that's good.
0: Uh, it's called Inside. Uh, not to be confused with Bo Burnham's Inside.
1: Yeah, I was let down. I was like, where's Bo?
0: Because it is originally, and, and we watched it in French. So, the original titer, title, Titer, Titer, tighter, is uh, a carrière, maybe.
1: Oh, all right. <laughs> I don't know if
0: I pronounced that right. Oh, I do, do I? So, Inside, 2007 horror film, directed and written by Alexander Bustillo and Julian Mori. Um, it stars predominantly Alison Paradis as Sarah and Beatrice Dahl as La Femme.
1: Mm -hmm. the
0: synopsis so this is part of the new french extremity movement of which martyrs is high tension is um the film we watched for the not your final girl 2022 trouble every day is a part of that so the synopsis for this one is four months after the death of her husband a woman on the brink of motherhood is tormented in her home by a strange woman who wants her unborn baby
1: just to jump back quick, is knife and heart part of that too no no No. when not consider it okay
0: I don't know.
1: All right.
0: (laughs) Don't think so though. What did you think of inside?
1: (laughs) Um, I thought it was fucked and it was very dark and very intense. That's kind of the, that's the main word for the French, the new French extremity movies is that they're, they're all very intense. And even when you kind of get to the end of them, because we were kind of talking about this after the fact that after watching, high tension after watching martyrs even after watching like titan both of us were like yeah there's like some messed up stuff in that but it didn't like fuck me up but these movies are kind of known as just like fucking people up yeah. um but like i would say that there's an intensity to them mm-hmm. be- especially when you watch it for the first time cuz you don't know what's happening everything just seems ratcheted up to 11 and you don't know if or when it'll kind of let you let down a little bit and and ease up and and kind of give you a bit of breathing room because typically as soon as it does that then it's then it's just grabbing you again by the shirt collar and pulling you up.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if I talked about this when we watched Trouble Every Day, but like the wiki page for New French Extremity or New French Extremism or informally New French Extreme has coined by art form critic James Quant in a uh, article that he wrote to talk about this like collection of films some of which we've mentioned um some people have described it as cinema of the body so it either tends to be about like transgressive graphic sexual stuff mm. or um mm-hmm. quite graphic like violence to the body or both yeah um there's another one in reference to a specific film that says it contains enough savage violence and sexual ugliness, um, but they often still have a soul. Yes, there's not like, I think that Cinema of the Body is the one. Oh, I like this one too, that New French Extremism is a crossover between sexual decadence, bestial violence, and troubling psychosis.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, that's a really well-educated way to put that.
0: Yes. Yeah, so... I agree that these films tend to have this, yeah, intensity to them. Because what was interesting to me about Inside is take the new French extremity out of it, and it's a pretty run-of-the-mill home invasion movie. Yeah. And we've seen lots of those. Yeah. Many that I like better. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I have really liked Panic Room.
1: Yeah. Or even, like, if you want to get kind of... Creepy, peepy, supernatural about it, like The Night House.
0: The Strangers. Yeah. Funny Games, <clears throat> my favorite. Love Funny Games. Um, mm. Hush for a newer one. Yeah. Oh, like, man, Hush is good. Lots of movies that are kind of in this vein. I think what this one does differently is the extremity of the violence. Mm-hmm. But there's this strange thing that happens when I watch a new French extremity movie, and and I think this will come up later in our discussion of a different film, is that in being told that it's going to mess me up so much and that it's so graphic? I almost am like, oh, that was it.
1: Yeah, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about martyrs and high tension and like just some of those films. Well,
0: high tension does have something in like the very first scene that I was like, Ugh.
1: yeah. But or like Titan and things like that. Like it has those things that you're kind of like, oh, that like kind of gives you gives you a really visceral reaction. But mm-hmm. it's. It, to live up to the hype of like, oh, this will fuck you up. It's going to be the worst thing you've ever seen. It's disgusting, whatever. <laughs> it, yeah, it very rarely lives up to the degree that I put that out in my head. Yeah.
0: There is there is some stuff in this.
1: Oh, yeah. Not to say,
0: yeah. And interesting to me, it's like the first moment of violence in the film actually to me was the worst one. Because of the particular spot on the body, that was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the opening scene was pretty upsetting and like harkens back to like the descent. And it's yeah. like, pretty upsetting.
0: But in a way that any film could do. Yeah. Not specifically a horror film. Let's talk about the Christmas movie of it all. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it definitely is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Because it's set on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day.
1: I kind of love I love when movies just kind of weasel Christmas into their especially a movie like this weasels Christmas into yeah. the story. It
0: has absolutely no bearing on it other than that some of the characters are having holiday dinners. Yeah. And that like nobody's really around on the block because it's the holidays.
1: Yeah. I, I love that because that's that's just kind of the the genius of the of the writers being like, okay, what's gonna be the device that you know we have to cause so many like the audience is just gonna be like, well, just go to the neighbor's house yeah. or whatever. But well, what's the device to get there? It's like, oh, simple, Christmas. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> no gone. Around. Yeah.
0: Did we talk last week when we watched In Bruges that like it's set around Christmas time too? hmm Because we kind of watched that not knowing that. And it's like, oh, we're kind of accidentally watching Christmas movies in December. Although we
1: have a lot of non accidental Christmas yeah, movies coming up, be in the future. prepared
0: for a whole week of Christmas movies. We just love them so much, and uh, haven't really gotten around to watching any of our core
1: Christmas yeah, movies.
0: So we're gonna just bang them out one after another. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was kind of that was kind of funny. Like that's what helped me decide between like the six movies that I borrowed is like which one did I want to watch. Well, I guess this one's a Christmas movie, so we're gonna watch it. Um, Interestingly to me, the moments that, like, really worked for me were more of the, like, subtle invasion of privacy stuff that kind of um, speaks to the elements in The Strangers That Freak Me Out. Mm. Like, when someone is watching you or someone is in your space and you don't know. So, these shots where, you know, Sarah is in a room and we can see La Femme in the shadows behind her and we know that she's there, but Sarah doesn't know.
1: What's that called again?
0: I guess dramatic irony. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But those like did freak me out quite a bit. I do think though at a certain point, it kind of meanders into very typical home invasion accessible movie, despite the fact that it's a new new French extremity with like kind of these secondary and tertiary characters showing up and in the middle when it kind of goes into this, how do we pad the runtime?
1: Yeah. It gets a little like insidious mainstream horror movie. A little yeah. Bit. In the middle. Yeah.
0: With still a lot of like graphic violence when the violence occurs, but there wasn't really anything interesting about that part of the film to me other than like i I kind of felt like I've seen this before. It's just a little bit more violent than I have seen it before, but it's not offering me anything new. Mm -hmm. I think I would have been much more engaged in a like full capsule film with just those two characters. Mm -hmm. But then maybe that's a short film and not a feature film.
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. Like there's definitely some really like brutal and shocking things that I'll take away from this movie some sequences and some visuals that I think are done really, really well. Yeah. But just as an overall mm-hmm. film, it didn't hit me on a level that I'm like, oh, this is one of my favorite horror movies I've ever seen or anything like that. Or it didn't bring anything new new enough to the table to put it up there with some of my favorite Home Invasion movies or even uh, New French Extremity movies.
0: You know what I think that was for me is this is a film... It was interesting because you didn't know what it was about. Yeah. So you didn't know that, like, this woman comes into her house and wants her baby. hmm I did know that. But this, um, that sounded like I was bragging. <laughs> I knew that.
1: <laughs> the child will be hers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but this film really, to me, and it could be that I'm missing something, didn't really have anything to say about pregnancy or mothering, to me.
1: No, and I felt like that was low hanging fruit to tell a really interesting Side of that story.
0: And there could be, you know, like the character of Sarah, there could be some real complexity and like maybe she doesn't even want to be a mother. Maybe there's a part of her that's like, yeah, take the baby, you know? Like Mm -hmm. that that there could be some like intricacies and depth to that that would take this really horrifying concept and they execute the gore and the horror of that really well, but not to, to me at least, not to say anything. Like there's so much to be mined For someone like me who like the idea of being pregnant is literally the like most horrifying thing I could ever imagine. I do not want to ever be pregnant. And Mm -hmm. I've felt that way since as a young child. I realized one day my body could do that. I was like, nope, uh -uh, never. Mm -hmm. How about no? So like that idea of for many people, pregnancy itself can feel like a horrifying invasion. Yes. But then when you pair that with, Somebody wants to take that from me. Mm-hmm. And the like tension and contrast of those conflicting feelings of both of these things feel like an invasion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there if you read it into it, but I don't know that it's intentionally developed. Yes. Beyond a, well, the movie's about pregnancy. So, you know? Yeah. And that's just such a shame because I think that I could have really. Been blown away by that if it had been explored on that like thematic emotional level a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it was more used as like a plot device as opposed yeah. to something more thematic and I mean deeper to explore.
0: Not to be that person, but it is written and directed by two men.
1: <sighs> women be pregnant, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> women be pregnant. Women be wanting other people's babies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> women be like, give me a baby, and the other woman be like, nah. Ah. <laughs>
0: But I will say it was cool and fun. These are weird words to use.
1: Cool and fun.
0: It was cool and fun to have a woman killer.
1: Yeah, I, and a I,
0: ruthless woman killer.
1: I thought both of them killed it. I mean, yeah, those Sa- are
0: the parts I liked.
1: Sarah's the na- main na- <laughs> main character. Yeah, she gets put through the ringer, but I love the way that she's played. Like, yeah. I I think I think it's badass. But like, same on the other side of. Uh, La Femme. La Femme. Um, Ruthless. I really, she's from Trouble Every Day. Yeah. And she's great in that too. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I got to note here that we always note when we love it is uh, the practical effects here are awesome. Um, But there's some computer effects (laughs) that, you know, date the film a little bit. We
0: do go into the womb on several occasions. Allie McBeal level CGI baby. (laughs) Yes. This yeah. so is the other side of the coin to Allie McBeal. Um, and yeah, they, it also has the 2000s Sheen. Big time. And I mean, granted, this was a DVD.
1: Yeah. yeah and
0: Laurie was very like, oh, this is the only one I don't have on anything other than DVD. But, you know, I think some of the things that could be really sharp visually about it um, kind of get muddled.
1: We've been watching DVD. a lot of two thousands movies lately, and yeah, it it you it the Sheen is really apparent.
0: The Sheen is real.
1: Sheen is real. Um, I mean, we
0: can't. I mean, you described it so well last week that it was like this awkward prepubescent time. Yeah, it's the acne of film. You know. <laughs> yeah. They're just trying to figure it out. they you know they're. Do we wash our face more? Do we wash our face less? Do we? What was that shit? That like fakelia? kill you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't do that. And in the end, we get to 4K. Crystal clear.
1: Oh, the 2000s films were just pimples.
0: Just pizza faces. <laughs> <laughs> that was so rude. I would never say that to a real person. <laughs> I'm just talking about cinema.
1: Whoo! All right. Before Kylie decides to bully anyone any further. Um, there's yeah. I I have to say effects aside, I was totally happy with the amount of blood that was in this movie. Yeah, so much blood,
0: so much blood, and this had been on. There's a scene from this that was in the 101 Scariest Movie Moments on Shutter, and I made a skip over it because I knew I wanted to watch this movie. Yeah. So then after we watched it, I found it. And,
1: and of course, and it, we
0: watched it, that scene, and it was it I, is a pretty great scene.
1: Yeah, that show was so fun to watch the 101 scariest horror movie moments because you're kind of sitting there when they introduce the movie and you're just running through your head of oh it could be this it could be this it could be this but some are just like oh no it's definitely this scene hope oh, they do well, i mean i guess they couldn't do another one they should do more stuff like that because i like it <laughs> hot take
0: hot take elliot loves it shutter
1: you make me shudder.
0: all right inside how to make you feel
1: Made me want to crawl out of my skin. Oh. Yeah. Um, Creepy peepee. Not my fave, but glad that I've seen it. How about you?
0: Yeah, pretty much the same. Like, it definitely freaked me out while I was watching it. And, like, the gore I loved, but it never got to a point where I couldn't, like, I had to look away. hmm So I was just kind of, like, along for the ride. And when the ride was over, I was ready to get out of the car and never get back in it. It was like this really bad ride we had to the Toronto airport where it's like part of me is fascinated by what's happening, but I will never call this Uber again.
1: Yeah, we got an Uber and a Telsa showed up. It's a Tesla, but we call it Telsa. Because <laughs> piss on you, Elon Musk. Um, so yeah, this this Telsa shows up. We're going to the airport, mind you. So the driver would know that we would have bags with us, presumably. If you're going to the airport, you're going to have bags, full trunk, full trunk of shit that we had to help her rearrange. And then, oh, man, she's just bless her heart. But like,
0: didn't know how to drive. She
1: was too nervous of a driver. So she was hugging the shoulder, which was full of potholes. And we're just like bouncing and like swerving. There's not a lot of confidence in the driving. All three of us had to sit down. soon as we got to the airport, it's like, we're going to throw up.
0: But also she was driving with two feet.
1: Yeah, so it was really jerky too.
0: And she was trying to keep her distance from everyone because obviously she was afraid of her Telsa getting wrecked. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that experience is kind of what Inside was like where I'm like, it's a little <laughs> barfy. It's a little all over the place. Jerky, jerky. But I am kind of fascinated by what's going on. Yeah. I need to take a breather after and I definitely won't be calling that Uber again. Yeah. Yeah. That's watch, how I felt. Watch out. And that, my friends, is what we call a metaphor. Ah! <laughs>
1: well done. <laughs> well done. Ten points to Gryffindor. Ravenclaw. Ah, yes. Yeah, but you can guess what I am.
0: hoof poof poof. poof poof Okay. Let's get
1: to the next one. I wanted something that was just comfort food and we've never... Watch together that I can remember um well that I know of because you've only seen this once kind of I chose the 1986 comedy Ferris Bueller's Day Off it was written and directed by John Hughes and stars Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller Alan Ruck as Cameron Fry, uh, Mia Sarah as Sloane Peterson and Jennifer Grey as Jeannie Bueller the synopsis the tagline for this which I totally love one man's struggle to take it easy uh, the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> After high school slacker Ferris Bueller successfully fakes an illness in order to skip school for the day, he goes on a series of adventures throughout Chicago with his girlfriend Sloan and best friend Cameron, all while trying to outwit his wily school principal and fed up sister.
0: That is such a long synopsis. Did you see the shorter one?
1: Uh, what was it?
0: A high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school despite what the principal thinks of that plan. Yeah, I saw that.
1: <laughs> it's too, too, too brief.
0: Oh, I liked a wise guy. <laughs>
1: a wise guy, a
0: high school wise guy. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, uh, I was excited to watch this because I I grew up watching this. You, however, did not have a bit of a history with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think of Ferris Bueller's Day Off?
0: I don't know where to start.
1: Okay, well, just do it.
0: Ask me a question.
1: <laughs> so, what do you think of Ferris? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
0: Ask me a second question.
1: Um, what was the first time that you watched Ferris Bueller?
0: Okay, so I did not grow up with John Hughes films, although in retrospect, I did grow up with films he wrote. Yes, but not like the films that when we hear John Hughes, we think of. So not his like, were they called the Brat Pack?
1: Yeah, like
0: not those films. I never watched those as a kid. My parents were born in '56. They're significantly older than your parents and then a lot and significantly older than a lot of our friends' parents were.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And they, my sisters were born in 87 and 84. So like my parents were in their late twenties, getting into their thirties, having kids when these movies were coming out, they weren't reminiscing about high school. Yeah. They weren't watching these movies. So I just didn't grow up with them.
1: Well, I think we've talked about two maybe on the show of just how you and I, because of our parents having essentially like a 10 year age difference, like you grew up with more of the 60s, 70s kind of music and media, Mm -hmm. whereas I grew up with more of the 80s uh, media because that's when my my parents were teenagers, essentially. Um,
0: And then on top of that, your parents had kids young. Yeah, And my parents had kids a little bit older. So I feel like I have a wider gap of media mm. because my parents were like still engaging in that. My dad loved movies so much and my mom loved popcorn so much <laughs> that they would. And they like my parents went to a lot of concerts, like really cool, iconic concerts when they were in their 20s. And so like like I just my parents liked cool stuff. So I got to hear about it, but I never really heard about '80s stuff unless it just kind of managed to like penetrate the bubble of things that they might engage with when they're kind of at that stage in their life. Yeah. So I hadn't seen any of these movies. Of course, I'd heard of them. You know, especially Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, and Ferris Bueller. I'd, I'd heard of them. Yeah. But I never watched them, and I had no really desire to watch them. I did, though, watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off on a TV edit once just because it was on TV and there was nothing else on. And I don't really remember much about it other than I watched it.
1: And that's the only time you've seen it?
0: Yeah. And I don't even know if I saw the whole thing. Because, you know, when, like, you go to Channel 5 and then you'd be like, oh, here's a movie on. And you'd watch it and maybe only it had already started or you had to go and do something else before it ended. Mm-hmm. Or you, like, go and make a snack on a commercial break and then, like, miss part of the movie. You know, I don't know that I really like sat down and watched it.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. That was
0: my only time I engaged with it.
1: Right. And then as you kind of got older too, you had friends or a specific friend that Ferris Bueller was like a part of their identity. Yeah. So you could never really get into that or like penetrate that even if you wanted to.
0: Well, such a strange thing when like someone who's close with you loves something so much that it just feels like it can't be yours, yeah, especially like sure when you're younger, you know interestingly though, like I felt this way about Tegan and Sarah lately because, um a friend who shall not be named who I've mentioned several times ghosted me, um, was obsessed with Tegan and Sarah, right, like would see them here and then travel multiple other places to see them again in the same tour, mm. Um, and I love Tegan and Sarah. I have liked Tegan and Sarah since before I met that friend, but it just felt like, okay, well, I'm not allowed to like them that much because she likes them so much. Since she ghosted me, I can reclaim Tegan and Sarah as a <laughs> <laughs> band I really like. Um, uh, that is a, it. And you know, that I've been able to actually be like, oh, I think I wasn't allowing myself to connect with this music as much as I actually do. Mm.
1: Because that's,
0: sad. that's, that's a sad thing. It is a sad thing. And I and I think about the own my own part I've played in probably doing that to other people because I was a disgustingly over the top Johnny Depp fan from the time I was like thirteen years old. So I'm sure I had people who were like, Well, I like Pirates of the Caribbean too, but like Kylie's obsessed with Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. You know, or like, maybe I'm doing that with After Sun right now. Right. Where it's like, Well, I really liked it, but like those two won't shut up about it. <laughs> you <laughs> know? So I just think people should be allowed to love things even if someone else they love loves them so here i am saying love after son as much as i do i want that yeah um but i think when we're young it's hard to feel that way
1: yeah it's hard to feel confident in the things that you love especially if somebody and you're young you're so passionate about everything especially anything that you come across that you end up loving and you become so precious about that thing and you If somebody else in your if that's somebody else in your life, you're like, well, I can't talk about Ferris Bueller.
0: Or I don't want it to seem like I only like it because so and so likes it.
1: Yeah. Or if I'm trying to like be like this person. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: so like this person loved it so much that they got Save Ferris tattooed on them while we were still in high school. I think. I think we were still in high school, or it might have been like right after high school ended.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like that's a that's a commitment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is a commitment. And so I kind of and there's also the I'm not proud of this, but like that cynicism of like, ugh, if that person likes it, how good is it really?
1: Oh yeah, just like stinky poo poo. Yeah, about just being,
0: yeah, being a stinky poo poo. And I yeah, so I kind of felt that way. Then I never revisited it, but you, oh Elliot Cuss, <laughs> you got me to watch Pretty in Pink, some kind of wonderful Breakfast Club, culminating in Sixteen Candles, <sighs> when we were in our early twenties. I think it was when we had just. I think we watched some out. of them right before we moved out. Yes. I remember watching some kind of wonderful and pretty and pink at, my at your parents, parents' house. But I remember watching Breakfast Club and 16 Candles at our first place that we lived in together. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking like some kind of wonderful and pretty and pink were like fine. Like they weren't, They I didn't love them, but I was like, yeah, I see why people like these. Breakfast Club, I was like, uh, this is a little a salty. Mm-hmm don't love it yeah and then 16 candles you fell asleep yeah which will be a trend this week um and has been a trend in our lives elliot loves to fall asleep
1: because i'm so tall
0: (laughs) you love to say this i'm
1: so big that everything takes a lot more energy so i'm kind of like ant-man when he gets really big i know i just get real tired Because it's a lot of body to move around, you know? Go on.
0: (laughs) You can't see the face I'm making, everyone (laughs) who's listening. There's some eye rollage. So anyway, you were like, let's watch 16 Candles. You fell asleep. When you woke up, I was like, what was this disgustingly racist? You're
1: fuming. Yeah.
0: Like, this guy allowed someone to sexually assault his girlfriend And then she wakes up and says, I don't remember what happened, but I liked it. And I'm like, what is this garbage? Yeah. And you were like, I don't, I don't know. Sorry. And so I was like, F John Hughes. F. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my teacher hat on.
1: F John Hughes. F John Hughes. F him to heck.
0: And that's pretty much where I've stood, sat, ruminated Uh. for the last like 10 years. F. John Hughes.
1: Yeah, and, and that's totally fair. Like, I think of John Hughes movies that he has that are kind of considered part of, like, the Brad Pack stuff, I I really love Ferris Bueller. Pretty in Pink and some kind of wonderful, or like, the runners-up. I could really give two shits about the other two because I, I, I didn't grow up with those ones. Like, I, they weren't in the rotation. I, only, I saw them a little bit later in my life. But I'm like, oh, you know, like, I'll probably like these. It's John Hughes. And like, yeah, they're nasty. Like They're gross. Yeah. Like Breakfast Club is like getting there. And then 16 Candles is like peak. Like, I'm just going to throw everything racist, misogynist, assaulty at, at the wall and send it out there. Which is nuts coming from the guy that made Home Alone. And Flubber. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: right. So here's the thing though. I have no nostalgia for John Hughes. My associations with him have been F that guy.
1: Yeah.
0: I have a old friend who was obsessed, so there's a little bit of eye rollage there. I loved this movie.
1: Hell yeah. It's great. It's I so loved fun. it.
0: It is exactly my kind of humor. Mm-hmm. Like it is just silly, but witty, and like sometimes really dry mm-hmm. in like its like deadpan moments. I loved it.
1: Yeah, it's it definitely still slaps. I grew yeah. like I grew up watching this a ton. Like probably the most of all the John Hughes movies. Like I I watched the VHS to death. I watched it on TV all the time. So much so that when I'm watching it now. I still know where the commercial breaks w- would be. <laughs> like amazing. so, as we're watching it, I'm like, "Oh, yeah!" And the commercial break would be there. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome, and the fact that it is held up as well as it has is just a miracle, given the Breakfast Club sixteen exactly. candles of it all.
0: Yeah. So, so here, this is interesting. I read a couple quotes on the trivia page that I just thought said what I would want to say even better than I could say it. So one of them, and I want to talk a little bit more about what's being said in this. Mm -hmm. It says the idea of a sequel had gone around for years, having Ferris in college or on the job somewhere, but the idea was dropped. Matthew Broderick felt that the film didn't need a sequel, that this film was about a specific time and place that we'd all like to revisit. And it didn't need updating.
1: When I feel like if you, if you do it when he's older, It just seems like there's this element of like he's just irresponsible, like he's just a lazy slacker adult, which is less interesting than like a high school student that you can totally relate to wanting to ditch class to do anything other than go to school. So so
0: this is the thing that I wanted to talk about. I was really moved by that statement. The film is about a specific time and place that we'd all like to revisit. Mm -hmm. Because as we're watching this, I'm thinking that I haven't had that feeling Of, like, taking a day off (laughs) guilt-free since I was that age. I mean, we can take a day off work, Mm -hmm. but we know it's going to end up with more work on our plate later. Yes. And that we're probably going to be stressed out to a certain degree about, like, what's happening at work while we're not there and about, like, feeling guilty that we know we're missing work. And also, like, you can get caught ditching and doing what Ferris does And get in trouble for it if you're ditching work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, like, I mean, I used to ditch school. Oh, yeah. Didn't you?
1: Oh, yeah. I. One that sticks out in my memory is I ditched film media class one time. Because because the new Death Cab for Cutie album came out. (laughs) So I, I gathered up a couple of my friends from the class and we all drove. This is so irresponsible and, like, not great. from the teacher's perspective because if we like drove crashed and died that was on their watch essentially Mm -hmm. um but yeah we took off drove to the city picked it up got a couple other things from hmv and then drove back and then listened to it for the rest of the class
0: (laughs) you managed to do that in class time oh yeah you got there and back within 85 minutes yeah wow that's impressive what i used to do so we grew up about for the listener who doesn't know about a 20, 25 minute drive from Edmonton, mm-hmm. but not in Edmonton proper. I had to take the highway to get to Edmonton. Yeah. In grade 12, I had a friend who we both, nope, she had a third flock spare. I did not. <laughs> and we would often drive to Edmonton at lunch. Mm-hmm. The lunch break is not enough time to drive to Edmonton and back no. It's 45 minutes. I would go for lunch at Opium, which doesn't exist anymore, but oh, I loved that place. And then we would come back and I'd be like, eh, bio's already started. I guess I just won't go.
1: Oh, man. Grade 12 w- was awful because we do this thing. We go to Panda Hut every Friday. Call them Panda Fridays. Be like a group of friends. We'd all go. And so often, I mean, it's Friday. You're just already ready for the weekend. Some of us had third block spares. Some of us didn't. But sometimes we would be like, let's just go back to the house and play N64. And
0: not go back to and school. And just not go back to school. Yeah. So
1: bad. And sometimes we pretend to be each other's parents, but like we just all be trying to do deep parent voices. I used to
0: get my brother-in-law to call me in sick. That's great. Because he's how, he's like, what, 10 years older than us? Yeah. So when we were 16, he was 26. <laughs> but he went to the school too. So he'd be like, they're going to recognize my voice. And I'm like, you're a man now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Chill. They're not thinking about you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that This was before you could just look up, like in a system, whether your kid was listed as absent or not. Um. yeah we could we could get away with more you could also skip like legitimately skip and if you just like got home before your parents you could delete the message off the phone yeah so there was yeah
1: we were like kind of the last generation to I could yeah because when my brother
0: was in grade 12 it switched to like a system where my mom could look at any given time yeah so
1: <laughs> we're the last of the sneakies
0: we were the last of the sneakies and I watching this film I felt that that like that time in my life is gone where mm-hmm. you can shirk off your responsibilities and not have to really worry about it. Yeah. That's sadly n- not a thing anymore.
1: Yeah. Cause like, that's the thing about what you're talking about. If we they were to make a sequel, whether he be in college or working a job. I mean, I feel like the, the way that we leave this film, it's like Ferris could have gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. He's just, He's a clearly a smart person. And some of the things that he does to make the day off happen are very ingenuitive
0: and a little manipulative
1: and like he could, he could be a lawyer. He could be an engineer. He could like, he could also just like end up working a shit job. And the fact that we don't know, but it sets up that he could go anywhere and do anything is great. So I feel like there's this expectation that each person that watches this film have, For the characters by the end of the film, and I feel like there's just a whole slew of disappointment that could happen if they made a sequel.
0: And and I agree with you if if they did a sequel, and I mean, if it was Matthew Broderick at this age, he's not in college, Um, (laughs) so just a forever retirement. Like maybe he's the teacher. That's it. That's what they would do. He's
1: just a student forever. (laughs) Oh, he just turns into Ben Stein's character. Yeah.
0: But, you know, either he's irresponsible for taking the day off, or like it's this sad look what he became that he had to relive this, or you have to investigate that, like, how is it different when you try and do that as an adult? Yeah. Which is all interesting, but there's magic in a bottle in this movie, and like yeah. having a sequel would crack the bottle. So there's this other quote I really liked from Ben Stein himself. No shit. Win his money. So this is, a, this is a quote, direct quote. He says that Ferris Bueller is the most life-affirming movie possibly of the post-war period. This is to comedies, but Gone with the Wind is to epics. Holy shit. <laughs> it will never die because it responds to and calls forth such human emotions. It isn't dirty. There's nothing mean-spirited about it. There's nothing sneering or sniggering about it. It's just wholesome. We want to be free. We want to have a good time. We know we're not going to be able to do that all our lives. We know we're going to have to buckle down and work. We know we're going to have to eventually become family men and women and have responsibilities and pay our bills. But just give us a couple of good days we can look back on. God
1: damn, that's really good. <laughs> I know. That's really good. I
0: was like, I can't say that any better than Ben Stein did.
1: Yeah. This movie does give you every, like, it kind of gives you, like, with with Rooney the principal it gives you like this cartoon element like Mm -hmm. it's very cartoony but like the dynamic I'll say like specifically the the dynamic between our main three specifically Ferris and Cameron is really interesting to me Mm -hmm. watching it now just because it seems like you know clearly they're best friends and have been for a long time and Ferris even acknowledges that like their paths may change in the future and they may no longer be friends but there's this dynamic of like they know how each other are as people, and they call each other on that, and there's a lot of like really great male expressions of feelings in this too that I really like and feel really genuine and like kind of hit in a very emotional way, especially Cameron's art Cameron is the hero of this of this movie, the unsung hero of this movie <laughs> um but yeah like it it says so much about this very specific time in our lives and how it's a movie that allows us to like connect back to that and hold on to that, even if it's just for like an hour and 40 minutes.
0: And I think you can connect to different characters in it, right? Like I probably was more of a Cameron in that I did feel guilty when I didn't go to bio.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, and had that anxiety of like, well, what's going to happen if I, don't go to class and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But I had friends who were more fairest and were just like, okay. ah, let's have fun. Yeah. <laughs> These are our good years, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in retrospect, missing bio didn't impact my life too much. Right. Um, missing social studies definitely didn't. <laughs> Sorry, social studies, 30 teacher. Um, but I never missed English. I would like to point that out. Never skipped English. Not once.
1: Probably a good thing, as you are an English teacher.
0: I also never skipped math because I literally couldn't understand it if I skipped math. Yeah. Um,
1: Had a few of those classes too, yeah.
0: Yeah, we're like you, you knew you needed to be there to do well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's such an interesting, the characters are really interesting. And I also read that John Hughes wanted this to be about character, not plot. Like he said, like it really wasn't about what happens, but about how the unfolding of events helps us understand the characters.
1: Well, I mean, the plot is essentially in the title of the movie. Yeah. Like it's
0: It's like baby's baby's day out or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You
1: know? um, the plot is, I mean, in theory, it's just so simple, but the character, the characters are really great. And you get this range of characters too, like from the slapsticky to complicated and emotional and, Like you can sense, especially if this time around, I sense insecurity in Ferris, whereas Mm -hmm. like he's kind of, I always kind of thought of him as like this really confident, cocky kind of guy. And he is that, but I I sense like a deeper level of like, he's a senior, this is his last year in high school. There's like this, what's come, what comes next kind of thing. And there's, there's a fear in that, that Mm -hmm. you can sense in him, um, which is great. Like that that's depth to these characters. Yeah,
0: that makes it on a rewatch when you're not that age resonate in some different ways, right? Where you see or I see an ability to look back and think of my high school self and things I didn't understand were going on on a deeper psychological level with me or like mm-hmm. the worries and fears that I had that I couldn't even articulate then. I can see that in some of these characters you can also have the nostalgia for like what it felt like to be able to take a day off and just hang out with your friends. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the other thing I can take a day off, but am I going to convince all my buddies to skip work on the same day so we can go have a day off together?
1: That's the biggest thing.
0: Probably not, but you definitely could get your friends like, ah, we're already out. Don't go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's, there's so many different ways that you can watch it. And when a film allows you to like reflect in different ways it's like a slam dunk in my book i do have a couple other things i want to mention
1: sure i have a quick question first though. oh sure what day of the week do you think it is that ferris took off
0: i don't know do we know
1: does I don't it tell know. us i don't know it does i don't think it's i don't think it says
0: what day of the week does ferris bueller take off
1: i don't feel like it's a friday i feel like it's a midweek thing i don't think it's a monday or a friday
0: it was June 5th.
1: 86 or
0: 85? June 5th, 85. Wednesday.
1: Perfect. I get it. <laughs> a, a big question that I've always had in my mind is, does he call in sick the next day?
0: No, because he can't remember.
1: But he's still sick. Like, he's just gonna wake up and be like, I'm, I'm, I'm cured. Yeah. I, I guess in a pre-COVID world, it's just like, yeah. I'm he,
0: feeling good enough to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Wednesday. So-
1: I've never thought about that. I'm glad we d- dug into this. This is lovely. Go on.
0: <laughs> okay. Paul McCartney has said that he likes the movie, but that they should not have included brass instruments in the twist and shout sequence.
1: <laughs> Step off, Paul.
0: And John Hughes was like, I'm sorry, I've offended a Beatle. <laughs> okay, one- I don't
1: believe in Beatles. I just believe in me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Especially because there's so much Beatles stuff in the movie. Um, here's one that is... So great. When this movie came out in 1986, the Jer- Detroit Red Wings were ha- were the worst league in the NHL. <laughs> and so this is meant to show oh, that man. Cameron even supports, like, even the team he loves are losers. See, I,
1: I like that. I like that way of looking at it. Like, that's a little bit more beautiful in my eyes, whereas the, the first place I went was just like, this is how Cameron kind of, like, is that kind of what we're putting onto Cameron?
0: I think it is that, but at the same time, it's that kind of symbol of like, even though they're the worst team, he's not going to stop showing his support for them. Yeah. And like their Ah, ability to not always be the worst team or that even when you're at your worst, like you still matter. You know what I mean? God. Which I think is kind of his journey in, in the film is to be like, how do I learn to like champion myself? Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Um,
1: but then he takes it off at the end.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the symbolism of the, of that then. But when you think Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you think dancing in the parade, you think Cameron in the Red Wings jersey, you think the red car, right? Like there's things that, even if you haven't seen the movie, you think singing in the shower, right? Yeah. You don't think not wearing the Detroit Red Wings jersey. Like that's the iconic Thing when you think of Cameron, if people dress up as Cameron now for Halloween or for a party, yeah, or for cosplay, if people do that, Ferris Bueller's Day Off cosplay, they're going to wear a Red Wings jersey.
1: I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, and I'm probably just trying to over, I'm overthinking this, but I'm wondering if the character, the are three characters um, represent
0: the Oilers, the Red Wings, <laughs> the Canadians.
1: No, if they're color coded, because <laughs> like Cameron has a red jersey, it's his dad's red car. Sloan is, like, always wearing all white. Like, she's, like, white on white. Ferris, uh, Ferris is, like, animal print vest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you might be reading too much into it. Okay. But, hey, I don't know.
1: I don't know. Google
0: it later. Okay, last thing I want to say. Yeah. If I had loved this as a kid, I would have had a crush on all of them. Feels a little inappropriate now.
1: It's the Bueller bunch of babes. Holy moly. I tell you.
0: And, like, like even personality-wise, too, right? Like, Sloane is just so cool. And like mm-hmm. nice, and then like, ah, oh, be- Ferris is a doink.
1: He is but a, doink. a
0: lovable doink. Yeah. And Cameron, you just like, oh buddy.
1: I feel like I would like to be Cameron's friend.
0: But I think I was Cameron in high school. Mm. And I think you were a little bit more Ferris. Mm. Like if you had to, had to say that you were one of them. Mm-hmm. The first time I met you, you shoved an ice cream cone in your face and started crying, like like fake crying, like you were a baby. Yes. That seems more Ferris than Cameron to me. <laughs> 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 and then I was like, ugh, which seems more Cameron than Ferris to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then Jennifer Gray's here, too. Total, yeah, she's a babe. Total babe. It's a babe fest in this movie. Um. No, I was gonna say the you also love the fourth wall breaking in this.
0: I love a fourth wall break, hence why Funny Games is one of my favorite movies of all time.
1: I love when it leads into it so heavily that it starts putting like things on screen, yeah, of, like like listing the things that they're talking about. Like I think that that's so that's so clever. That's so great. Do you like it? Like in Deadpool,
0: it kind of takes it too far because
1: it's trying to be all. I don't dislike edgy.
0: it. I do like it, but I'm like it. it Gets to a point where it's a little too overused for me.
1: It's not subtle.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, this isn't subtle either. And but neither there's like, is funny games.
1: But there's like a subtlety to the humor and the way that it uses it. Like it kind of uses a lot of like gym looks from The Office, you know? Yeah,
0: I think it does it a little bit more sparingly. Yeah. So that those moments hit a little harder. Um, but that's not what Deadpool is going for. Deadpool is going for um, overindulgence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's its goal. And I think it succeeds at that. Um, yeah. I do like the fourth wall breaking.
1: Yeah, it's great. And the soundtrack still slaps. It's great. I love, I love, I love this movie. and yeah. I love that we just talked for so long on it. And it still makes, it love, makes me love it even more.
0: I, I will watch it again. I think it'd be really cool if Metro played it. I don't think they listen to us, but.
1: That'd be sick.
0: If they do. <laughs> Would love. You should play, they should play it on June 5th. And then people should, they should do it during the day. And people have to take the day off to go and see it. That's a great idea. Yeah,
1: let's talk about this more after. <laughs> um, great. How did Ferris Bueller's day off make you feel?
0: It made me feel really warm.
1: Oh, nice. Where yeah. where did you feel it? Where in your body did you feel it?
0: All right, therapy. Yeah. <laughs> um, is always my answer in therapy? It's <laughs> my chest. My chest. <laughs> it's
1: always my chest.
0: It's always. I think it's
1: only been my tummy once.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I've had it in the feet once too.
0: Are you being serious? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In therapy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you get asked that too.
1: Yeah, that's their jam. We both go to the same place for therapy. We different don't have... therapists, but same same place. place. It's all yeah, all about where you're feeling. Where that.
0: do you feel that in your body? Um, <laughs> did I felt it? in my chest and my my cheeks. You think? Not my butt cheeks.
1: I was going to say like I wonder if I'll ever feel it in my butt.
0: <laughs> I I have I have faith that you will.
1: <laughs> I'm a believer.
0: <laughs> I'm a believer that a movie will eventually make my butt cheeks feel something. <laughs> um yeah, it made me feel warm and it did make me feel nostalgic. But mm. In a happy way. That's cool. Yeah, really That's happy cool that you're way. able
1: to feel that, even though it's not necessarily something that you grew up watching, but you still it still gave you those feels.
0: You can fall in love with a film anytime. It's never too late. That's great. Thanks. Poetry. how did it make you feel?
1: Uh yeah, it made me feel like a kid. And
0: where did you feel that in your body?
1: In like back of my mouth.
0: Actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What?
1: Yeah, like back
0: Man, your therapy sessions must be so much more interesting than mine. I'm like yeah, my are. chest. No, they are. <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling my therapist you said that
1: don't do it where it is where you feel that like a dagger in the heart um i'm so grateful that it still holds up and that it has aged in a way that i, I can view it differently now but it also makes me feel a little bit like elaine at the end of the green mile where she's like here's this amazing story and it's like you had a son that was how old here i'm like how, this is a wild adventure. How'd they do it all in a day? Like, Because I fe- they
0: were infected with love Because
1: I feel like they don't pick up Simone until second block or second period Man, at least. Man, you
0: are misremembering the pep that high schoolers have.
1: They go to so many different things and are still home on time. I don't get it, but movie magic.
0: Yep. All right. Okay. I got two mystery picks this week.
1: You did? I did. Lucky devil.
0: I picked a film I've been meaning to watch forever. I'm fairly certain we even own it. Um, Yeah, I think you're right. I think we got it in the blockbuster crash of 2000-whatever. I picked Persepolis. Persepolis?
1: I think of it as Persepolis because we always used to sing a song.
0: In Catholic school?
1: No, you and I, when you had the book, where I was like, Persepolis, Persepolis, Persepolis.
0: We did this? I did. (laughs) Every time I hear the
1: title, I've just... Persepolis. Well, it's Persepolis forever for
0: For you. Um, So Persepolis, 2007 film, animated, biography, drama. It's three very different categories. Oh, Directed by Vincent Paranois, who also wrote the screenplay, and co directed by Marjan Satrapi, who wrote the comic that it's based on. It stars Chiara Mastroianni. Wow, I'm going to do this. I just was giving you shade for pronouncing names, and now I'm doing it badly. Chiara Mastroianni as the adolescent Marjan, and Catherine Deneuve as La Mer. There's a lot of other people, but I think that those are kind of the central two. Um, The synopsis, a precocious and outspoken Iranian girl grows up during the Islamic revolution. I have wanted to watch this forever. I read the comic many years ago and really liked it. And just somehow never got around to actually watching the film. So I was really excited when I saw it was on Criterion. Do you know
1: how long after the, the book that this came out?
0: The graphic novel came out in 2000 for... Persepolis, The Story of a Childhood, and then there was a second Persepolis called Persepolis, The Story of a Return, which came out in 2004. So it's... Okay. Yeah. And this does cover both of them, but not... Like, it does selectively take some things out.
1: what year is this, sorry? The the movie?
0: 2007. Mm. What did you think of it?
1: Um, I mean, first of all, the thing that makes this movie for me is the art style
0: it's so striking
1: i could it, it matches the book almost like beat for beat mm-hmm. I, I haven't read the book but i know what the book looks like and we actually like turned through it after we finished this movie and just like man they just stuck with it and nailed it
0: mm-hmm. like we even found some panels that are
1: beat for beat yeah
0: which is really cool because we like there were things we really liked in the film and i haven't read the comic in so long and i do feel like i've become a better reader of visual mediums Mm. since I first read this comic. Um, So I'd be, I am interested to go back and read this again, feeling like I'm more adept at how to comprehend visuals and how to um, like work in that medium.
1: I think it would be helpful to, if you re or if you reread it now, having seen the film, yeah, because that could just help also make some of those connections. So it's a nice easing in of,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I really liked the, the comic at the time, but what I have found sometimes when I've read graphic novels in the past is I don't really linger in the visuals and I I still am reliant on the dialogue mm. um, or, the, or the writing, the written portions of it. And the writing is whip smart and like evocative and just really, really good. Um, and a lot of that is taken straight out of the comic as well, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a comic where even if the visuals weren't something that I was able to engage with as much, just because it's something that I doesn't come naturally to me, the writing was still so fantastic.
1: Yeah. Like it's such a, um, it's such a complex personal story that the animation really helps to kind of heighten it. And because it's told from a first person Mm -hmm. narrative, it allows it to punctuate certain things that happen or elaborate on them or present them in a way that you just can't necessarily get from a static frame mm-hmm. or a panel in the book. Um, it actually, it kind of reminded me a bit of the approach of the movie fleet. Yeah. That we watched, like it's kind of using animation to punctuate the power of the story.
0: Yeah. And using that, which the comic is obviously doing as well, but that combination of art style with voiceover that in the comic is like art panels with written. Mm -hmm. elements it has this really striking ability to juxtapose Mm -hmm. so to like have this visual juxtaposition this thematic juxtaposition and emotional juxtaposition like there are parts in this film that are so goddamn funny yeah and there are moments where I cried Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right so like this film can and it it can switch so fluidly between the two like it's not a sharp switch like Parasite has Right. Where you're laughing and then like you're almost um, terrified. The word I, there's a word I'm looking for there. Like you're you're laughing and then you are surprised right. by being like it's like oh boo just kidding, right? Whereas this it's like this movement that makes sense between these juxtaposed things that shows how interconnected they are. Yeah. As opposed to having them bump up against each other.
1: Yeah. It's like an it
0: enmeshing of them as opposed to a um confliction. Yeah. You know? And I found that really moving and I thought the art style presented that in a way that a um what do we call a non-animated film?
1: Live action.
0: Yeah, so that I think I, there what, there's a word for it. Um <laughs> that a live action film I don't think could have done as well. Yeah. Like I think this film wouldn't be as impactful if it was live action.
1: Yeah, I agree. Because there's, there's this, uh, especially in the beginning of this film, there's like this kinetic energy that exists and mm-hmm. how it's being told. But the film also takes it, it takes moments and takes beats to slow down and kind of stay within a emotion or a scene or a bit of a vibe. And it does that so well. I feel, yeah, I feel like in live action it could... If you're jumping from set piece to set piece and it's all it's all kind of I don't know I, I feel like there's because of the art style being so minimalist there's a there's an opportunity there for to not lose your viewer into in so much going on uh, because it's surreal
0: mm-hmm.
1: whereas if you set it in reality and it's live action I feel like there there's a bit of a leap that you're not able to take with how I don't know. I, I feel. I just feel like stylistically, unless you're doing like a Sin City thing, it wouldn't have worked as well. Hot take.
0: I don't. Yeah, I don't know about like that word well. I think it just would have been a different film. Yeah. Or there'd be something different that you're getting out of it. The tone would be different. I think the thematic and emotional resonance would be different. It'd yeah. probably also be a really good film, but it wouldn't be the same film.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the thing. Is that maybe just in my head? I'm struggling to imagine what that would be like just because it was so effective
0: i think it would be like a straight drama yeah but that art style that then allows for that surreal surreality surreality um and like the imagination to play a part in it yeah i just loved it like i i I agree with you i can't imagine not having the film be that way because it is so impactful and I was really, really drawn to it. Like, I want to watch this movie again. Yeah. I do want you, to read the comic again.
1: Do you know who I think could actually make a good live action version of it that would capture all of the emotions it needs to capture? Is the Celine Dan- Schiema? The Daniels. Oh. <laughs>
0: Put them together. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't think this needs to be a live action film. Though.
1: I agree. I agree. Um,
0: As we'll uh, talk about in our next film, remakes are stinky (laughs) poo-poo. We don't need it. I mean, I think that there is value in translating this from comic to screen. And um, having not read the comic in a long time, I'm just going off of what I read online after we watched the film. But I read that um, in having to selectively cut things out, that the film reads more as a history of Iran, while the comic is more focused on the character. Mm. Of Marjan, right, like that she becomes like the central focus as she moves through the history of her time in Iran, and that the film is a little bit more focused on like Iran as a character yeah now i I haven't revisited the comic, so i I can't speak to you if I agree with that
1: yeah i I mean, and having not read it at all i i felt I felt both like I felt that it was about Iran. But I also felt like I got a lot out of Margie as a character. Mm-hmm. Like, I I loved her as a character. I loved how spicy she was.
0: Yeah, if I could have a little kid that was going to be exactly like her as a little kid, as presented through the film, I'd, I'd do it. I wouldn't birth it, but I would take it.
1: Even her as an adult, you know, even though, like, she's complicated, but, like, she still turns out to be a person that has, like, pretty good morals. And it's, like, a pretty... Strong individual,
0: yeah. She's spicy from beginning to end. Yeah,
1: love, love a spice.
0: <laughs> love a spice. Spice girls, spice cabinet,
1: paprika. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I I was really moved by this film. I really really liked it, and I do want to revisit it. You uh, slept through some parts of it.
1: Yeah, I was a sleepy boy this week, and I apologize.
0: You're apologizing to the listener.
1: I'm apologizing to you and the listener.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: But I did, you know, in falling asleep, to make sure that I captured everything, I do look up the the plot summary oh. <laughs> after the fact to make sure.
0: <laughs> All right. I'm going to make a film called Elliot Cuss's Doze Off.
1: Head, shoulders, knees, and doze, the Elliot Cuss story.
0: <laughs> You're always falling asleep. You and the cat. How did Persepolis make you feel?
1: Uh, it made me feel so wrapped up in the art style and just the beautiful and effective uh, and powerful story that was being told were you
0: yeah this was a film that I felt it just like pulled me into the currents of it and I just kind of oh like swam in it oh I can't swim that's so. probably where you fell asleep <laughs> <laughs> you were in a lulling rocking boat
1: <laughs> and it yeah. lulled
0: you to sleep <laughs> But I did. It really just kind of swept me up and I just felt engulfed by it, but in a really lovely way. Like Mm. it didn't feel overwhelming. It felt like a coursing river. Oh, damn. Thanks. Poetry. Metaphors.
1: It's great. Talk about this last one. Yeah, last one of the week. We revisited a 2003 action drama mystery titled Old Boy. It's directed by Park Chan Wook and a lot of writers on this. So it. There's a manga version that was written by Geron Suchia, Nobuaki Minigishi, uh, as well as Park Chan-wook, who did the screenplay and uh, created the character. And then Jun Hun Lim and Zhou Young Wang. It stars Choi Min-sik as dae su oh Yu Ji Tai as Wu Jin Li and Kane Hai Yong as Mi Do. The synopsis. After being kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years, Odei Su is released only to find that he must find his captor in five days. Whoa. So this was playing at our favorite place, Metro Cinema, for its 4K restoration, which looked great uh, and sounded great. They cranked the volume for this. They wanted to they did. blast us with it. Um, we watched this one long ago. So, this is our second time seeing it. What would you think of Old Boy? I liked it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it plays different a second time. Yeah. So, it's interesting. I remembered that we watched Old Boy the first time. And I feel like we've spoken about this on the show before, briefly, but that it was on my birthday. And that we had gone to the movie studio Mm. and I wanted for my birthday, I think my request was to rent rent a bunch of fucked up movies. Like that's what I wanted to do. Right. So we went to the movie studio, which RIP, it was like the best like independent uh, movie rental place because they had films that would be really hard to find Mm -hmm. to purchase. Um, and streaming wasn't really a thing at this point, And certainly not to the degree it is now. And you couldn't just like rent movies on iTunes easily.
1: And the staff were really knowledgeable about it: Super staff.
0: knowledgeable. So if they didn't have something there, they could bring it in or they could tell you if it was possible to bring it in. Give
1: you good um, recommendations. Based
0: on that. Yeah, it was really, really great. So I remembered that we had done that. I actually was able to go back into my Instagram and find exactly the date. No way. Yeah. July 20th, my birthday, 2013. So we watched this 10 years ago. Wow, like It was a long time ago, and we only saw it that one time. Also, because I went back in, um, the the picture itself that I took, you couldn't tell what the films were, were oh. but God bless our friend Devin, who we hope to have on the show eventually. Yeah. Um, she was like, what did you rent? And so there's a comment where I said what, what I rented. We rented Old Boy, Martyrs, Short Bus, and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, which we didn't watch, mm. but we did watch the other three. In July 2013, we have a record of it. There you go. So a couple things. One, it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Two, we rented it with like, oh, it's so messed up. Right. Like the specific thing was we're going to rent Old Boy Martyrs and Sympathy for Your Lady Vengeance because they're messed up. And I think Short Bus was more like, it's like a sexually extravagant movie, right? Like So it was like, we're just going to rent these like New French Extremity and adjacent yeah, kind of yeah. films, right? Um, Cinema of the Body. Uh, all, all all, four of them I would say and we watched the Old Boy Martyrs and Shortbus in like fairly quick succession I yeah. feel like maybe we got the overall effect of those three films dampened by watching them all in the same time hmm. do you know what I mean by watching three films that are all quite purposefully um, not shocking but upsetting pur- Short Bus isn't upsetting, but like purposefully asks you to consider like what your limits are and what you are... Mm. Like I feel like all of these films challenge like decorum. Yeah. And they challenge our willingness to go somewhere that does exist. Right. All of them. Yeah. So Short Bus in terms of sex and relationships, martyrs in terms of pain and suffering, and Old Boy in terms of like vengeance and... Family and that kind of stuff, right? Like, there's each of these films takes us somewhere that's really uncomfortable to go because of our social taboos, because of just like the social conversations that we have and that we're brought up with, like, what do you talk about and what don't you talk about? What do you think about and what don't you think about? And yet, all of these films are addressing things that are very real realities. Yes. Although they take them to extremes. Mm -hmm. right? So they take them to extremes in order to ask us to think about them more subtly. Mm -hmm. I think they're all really brilliant films. But in watching them all so close to each other, I think we inundated ourselves with this and then left being like, oh, none of those were that messed up because we were like overloaded. Mm -hmm. And I also think at the end of the day, I don't think these films, unlike, say, an Inside, Mm -hmm. their sole goal is to be messed up. Right. I think their goal is to like I said, challenge with an extreme or heightened version of something that typically is off the table socially to talk about to get us to think about it. Mm. I don't think the goal, like I mean, even in Old Boy, yeah, there's a lot of violent moments. They're mostly off screen. We mostly don't see them. Yeah.
1: There's a there's an aspect of Old Boy though. The story itself is really compelling. And there's an upsetting element to it that makes me struggle with it a little bit. It's kind of like the big kind of linchpin by like the end of the film. And it, and it's just, it, it makes me kind of question because this is again, another two thousands movie where a big thing with two thousands movies is kind of shock value. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder if, you know, I think that your perspective that you just said about it can be true. But I also have this feeling inside of me, too, is like, is this just for shock value just to like to be upsetting for the sake of being upsetting?
0: I don't think so. Looking at Park Chan-wook's other films, I I don't think so. I think that he is interested in bigger conversations about what is socially acceptable and what we what we do when we have desires or feelings that are either like our own downfall and we know it and we can't stop Mm. or that make us feel uncomfortable and we're trying to confront that desire. I mean, we've seen the handmaiden and we've seen decision to leave and we've seen old boy now twice. I think that theme runs through all three of them. Mm. So yes, in 2003 when this was made were films that were a little bit more stylized and a little bit more in your face kind of happening at that time. Yes. I don't think though that this was just like, Oh, I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in here to shock you. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I also have to point out you fell asleep during this movie, so you don't get to be in the <laughs> theater no less. So, yeah. I get to be the final word out of the two of us. Admittedly,
1: yes. I was pretty sleepy during that one too. Um but I actually I, I you know, I do I do like looking at it that way and like looking at it over the Park Chan-wook films that we've seen. I think that it is trying to say something a little bit more intelligent than just like being shocking. Like it is trying to examine and explore things a little bit more deeply.
0: I think if it was just trying to be shocking, the ending wouldn't be what it is. And obviously we're not going to speak about the ending, but yeah, like there is an ambiguity and an emotional density to the ending Mm -hmm. that I think if this movie was going for pure shock value, it would end earlier than this and in a different way. Yeah. But the things in it are certainly pushing the limits of what people are willing to see and talk about.
1: Yeah. No, totally.
0: But it doesn't feel like torture porn or like I'm just trying to be icky for icky's sake.
1: Yeah. Because like you said, it's not just all that. And when it does go there, it can tend to be off screen. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Yeah. And I, you know, more than the like messed up parts of it, which is, you know, that's what you hear about this movie. Oh, old boy is so fucked up. Like, and that's not incorrect. But if you take those elements out of it, I'm so sorry to do this again. It's very Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. It's very much to me, old boy is very much a tale of like the cost of revenge. Like what it means to be somebody who's driven by vengeance. Um, it's a story about human folly, like what happens when we make mistakes and um, the degree to which we can become singularly focused on something. And that's not just with the character of Odysseus; like it's with other characters as well. Like this idea of what do our lives become when we become obsessed with one thing. And it's also a really good mystery. (laughs) Like like what, like why is this happening? We're in it with him, you know, who is his captor? Why has he done this? We are as enmeshed in that mystery. And when I think of a movie like Seven, I think this is just as strong as Seven, which is one that I like to revisit in terms of how it slowly unfolds the reveal of the mystery. Yeah, and I think it's really brilliant in that and to dismiss it as just being shocking. Well, I think Seven's shocking too.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. Because like I, I had a similar thought. Like I kind of, I've kind of described it as living in the bitter spitefulness of trauma. Yeah, yep. Um, And how much affect grief or trauma or even just like general thoughts or desires can affect people and think them higher than others or below others and the complexities of that, which I think that this movie explores, mm-hmm. which again kind of debunks that it's all just shock value for the sake of shock value
0: yeah and these moments of ambiguity that the film is imbued with it just layer it in such a way that it's more than it's twists or it's reveals or it's violence to me yeah like I come away from this film thinking about like what does this film have to say about revenge about desire about loss about trauma and I don't usually feel that way when a film just is shocking and then ends even if I like Mm -hmm. that film
1: yeah. I was kinda of, when you were when you were saying that and kind of talking about how people regard this movie as just being fucked up, it's kind of how people think of the first Saw movie and are like, oh, it's so gory. But it's not gory at all, really. Like No, it's all in the It's cuts. all suggested. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And a lot a lot of this film is too. Either it's long shots where you can't really see anything violent, or it cuts away when the things are happening such that you don't actually see the moment. Mm -hmm. It's like the opposite of inside. Yeah. Where it's like show the moment, show the moment, show the moment and lose the other stuff. Like in showing the moments so much, you lose the ambiguity, you lose the character, you lose the thematics. I think there's a way to balance the two. Cause I I like to see the gore as well. Um, And I had a lot of fun with inside, but this is one that lingers a little bit more.
1: And I mean, something that's undeniable about Park Chan Wook and and his films is that he's great at vibes, and he's amazing with camera work.
0: Oh my like, goodness, he does
1: amazing things with camera. I mean, the I'd say like probably the most infamous scene in Old Boy is the hallway scene, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 still incredible, and it's a one shot, which you know I love. But like to what we're talking about, he knows when to cut, and he knows mm-hmm. when to and he knows when to linger, and that okay. is. Masterful. So here's
0: this is really cool. As I uh, was bragging about earlier, I, you know, in our, we've watched getting close to 300 films this year, which is definitely the most we've watched in a year ever. Ever. And the adage that I say to my students is true the more you do something, the better you get at it. So I feel like I'm becoming better at visual analysis and visual Mm. understanding. That's cool. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's making me better at like reading art and reading comics and like like just visual mediums in general because film is a visual medium.
1: I never thought about that. Like just the fact that like that sentiment of you get better as you do like we're becoming better movie watchers. Yeah,
0: I think so. And like talking about it more. Very cool. And hearing other people's perspectives helps me to see things in new ways and then start to see that in the moment and not just after. Mm -hmm. So I was, as I was watching this, one of the things I was really struck by is I felt like the film had a really intentional rhythm.
1: Right. Like at times,
0: like it starts so zippy. Very zippy. Like it's fast, but then I felt like it slowed down. And this was something I felt in Decision to Leave too, that like he has such a command of rhythm well, turns out it was on purpose, of course. Um, so when he he intentionally plays with tempo, in the quieter moments, the shots last ten to fifteen seconds throughout an entire scene before cutting. Mm. And in the other, in the quicker moments, the zippier moments, two to six seconds before cutting. Mm. So we're cutting like in five times like more in a quieter or like in a fast scene than we are in a quiet scene.
1: He's just making a series of vines. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but, but I felt that. Like I felt these tempo changes and that he had such a command of it. There's a scene near the end when like kind of the mystery culminates. It's not the culmination of the film because ultimately the film, like our central conflict is Odessa finding out like why he was imprisoned. Um, and this is kind of the first step of that. And it's, like, an upsetting scene in many ways, but it's also beautiful and surreal and, like, gentle and yet, like, really sensual and yet, like, kind of uncomfortable. And the whole scene is shot so impeccably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He's just, he, Park Chan-wook, even though some people, like, his, all of his films seem to speak to them on a really kinetic emotional level and I haven't quite connected with any of his films in that way. Yeah, Like I appreciate the craft and I like the story and I come away having enjoyed the experience of watching the film. Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: haven't felt that just extra step more and so that's obviously the beauty of the subjective nature of film is that while I appreciate them, I like them, I'll revisit them. For other people, these are movies that just linger in them and resonate in them and they feel so connected to
1: Yeah. And while he's making much different films, Bong Joon-ho is much better at hitting me with the emotions.
0: And I think that's just a subjective thing, right? I don't think that Park Chan-wook is, or that Bong Joon-ho is a better filmmaker than Park Chan-wook. I think there's something about the themes and the particular style of Bong Joon-ho that connects more emotionally with us, whereas the style, the themes the emotions of Park Chan-wook connect more deeply with other people. And yet I yeah. think those people could probably appreciate Parasite, could appreciate um, Memories of Murder, could appreciate Okja, Okja uh, Snowpiercer. Yeah. But maybe those are fours and 4.5s for them. Mm-hmm. And Handmaiden and Decision to Leave and *Old Boy* are fives. Yeah. Right? And I'm sure there's going to be a Park Chan-wook movie for me that is.
1: Yeah. No, to- uh, the thing is, I love his craft so much. Yeah. It's mesmerizing. The way he crafts his movies and films and edits and assembles his films is, like I said, it's masterful. I I really love watching his films. I look forward to watching his films. But yeah, I think that there's, there's one out there. Like we talked about with Jesse Buckley, like there is a great, amazing Jesse Buckley performance. And maybe it's in Women Talking that we haven't seen yet, but it's coming up. That is incredible. I think that there is a Park Chan-wook film that is going to just hit on all cylinders for us.
0: It's possible it already exists and we haven't seen it yet. This is true. We haven't seen Sympathy for Lady Vengeance or Mr. Vengeance. Yeah. So I do have to talk about my mom.
1: Okay. Yes.
0: (laughs) Have I told this story on the show before?
1: I don't know. If you have, screw it. Tell it again. It's great.
0: If you know anything about Old Boy at all, you know that it's an intense movie (laughs) that goes in some interesting directions. My mother likes Adam Sandler movies. She most recently invited me to go see Ticket to Paradise with her. You know, that's and that's cool and that's great. She once accidentally rented the American remake of Old (laughs) Boy. which to my understanding is absolute garbage trash. Mm-hmm. I don't know how she accidentally did it, but she accidentally purchased it on video on demand. And because she doesn't believe in wasting money, she felt obligated to watch it. <laughs> so she watched it. Asking my mother to recount her experience watching Old Boy is one of the funniest things in the world. Oh, she just speaks with such disdain and disgust and is like it was so weird <laughs> um so funny
1: do you know spike lee directed that
0: i do yeah mm. i do and uh it's elizabeth olsen and josh brolin and the guy who played rorschach is um wu oh. jin lee's character
1: uh yeah and rami malek's in it
0: no that's not true it says here what I don't think so.
1: Yeah. Really? Lesser role. but
0: I don't know why I just immediately told you that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> i like, I have it in
1: front of me. Pretty sure. But yeah, you know, glad to see this again. Glad to get out to Metro and take a nap.
0: Really cool how like, <laughs> it was really cool how busy it was. Yeah. And the audience was super engaged.
1: Yeah. They were very, very kind of rustly talky. Before the film started, I was a little bit nervous, but as soon as it started, everyone was there for it.
0: Yes. This is one of the best theater experiences I've had recently where the theater was so full. Yeah. It was really impressive. And so Um, engaged. Yeah. Like you could feel that everyone was pulled into it. I did (laughs) hear a group of people who I'm assuming are a bit younger than us as we were walking out. And I heard one of them go, what year did this come out? And someone said 2001, I think. And then the other person said, 2001, iconic. I <laughs> <laughs> was just
1: like... I mean, yeah, I guess. Uh,
0: I guess if you were born in like 2004, 2005, yeah, <laughs> 2001 is iconic. And then we we saw some people walking ahead of us to her car who had just seen it. And I think it was a situation where one of the people had seen it before and the other one hadn't. And the one who hadn't was just like, oh, wow, yeah. Ah, <laughs>
1: I I also love the 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 previous people like 2001 iconic and it it came out in 2003. Yeah, they were
0: wrong. (laughs) They were right that it was the early 2000s though. So you know, we'll give them we'll give them some credit. Did you also know that there is a plagiarized uh, version from India, (laughs) like an (laughs) unauthorized clear ripoff of this film? (laughs) Yeah. So silly older boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Zinda, I think.
1: Oh wow, that's awesome. Okay, so rewatching "Old Boy," how to make you feel?
0: Honestly, on a rewatch, I just felt pretty sad. Like I felt sad mm. at what being consumed with vengeance can do to a person, and I think the film ends in a pretty heavy place, not in a heavy like oh twists and shocks and but like a just a heavy emotional place that I think is actually quite reflective and yeah, and has a lot of emotional heft. And I was really drawn to that idea of, like, loss and what do we do when we're trying to cope with loss and trauma and the dangers of vengeance. Mm -hmm. You?
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, I was glad to see it again. But, yeah, I I was left with the kind of feeling that I had at the very end that I I had at the end of Parasite a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: that's just kind of what I felt inside my chest.
0: It was in your chest? It was in my okay. chest.
1: Um yeah, and that's what it left me sitting like this very heavy and con- contemplative and yeah, sad. Um yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you wanna talk about bad dads and rad dads?
1: Yeah, let's name uh, the dads of the week.
0: All right. I had a I had a tough time.
1: I I had a tough time with bad dads. There are so many to choose from. Who did you pick as a bad dad?
0: Picked Wu Jinli. So did I. Okay, there were some choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why'd you pick I, him? Oh, he he focuses on the wrong things to the point of like self-corruption. Like just yeah, like he's so singularly focused on what he thinks matters to the point of meaninglessness.
1: That's well, like to the detriment
0: to- of everyone.
1: Others and himself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like it's, and and straight up, he's sadistic. Like, I mean, he's just not a great guy, but yeah, it was that like singular focus and inability to let go Mm -hmm. that when I'm thinking about qualities in a dad and not just like who's a bad character, but like thinking about, you know, why we do this, which is that concept of what kind of parenting we think is strong parenting and what kind of parenting, you know, could do with some reflection. I think being singularly focused on what you think is the right path and what you think is the appropriate way to deal with something to the point that it consumes you, not a great thing for a parent. And I think lots of parents can get like that in a way that of course is not this hyperbolized. But I think that that kind of obsessively singular mindset is a really dangerous thing for a parent yeah. to have.
1: The like blatant refusal to accept any alternatives mm-hmm. or healthier alternatives mm-hmm. and just getting like stuck in the worst stage of grief mm-hmm. and be un- unmovable from it. Yeah. Dangerous is uh, is the word for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Wu Jin Lee.
1: Beep, beep, boop, boop.
0: Get out of here. Yeah. Go away. jeez Don't be nobody's dad.
1: Uh Rad Dad. Who did uh, you pick? I picked Margie from oh, Persepolis. Oh,
0: that's really lovely.
1: Uh I just love, I mean, I love how spicy she is. Um, but she's just like I find her so smart and so driven. I I really, you know, on top of being spicy, I love that she's a killjoy.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I love a killjoy I myself like I I like to revel in being a killjoy sometimes like it's just it's not to like pee pee poo poo everything but to find spots of like where maybe others aren't thinking about something of the way that maybe I think they should uh, or be more considerate I love being that killjoy energy and I, I love that she you know on top of being this person that is caring and Has complexities that she sticks to her guns of what she believes in and like doesn't shut herself off from the world, but chooses to engage in it in her own unique way. And I love that. Who'd you pick?
0: I picked Sloane Peterson.
1: Okay. Okay. Tell me why.
0: So I know she's a very tertiary character, but I found that she had like a warmth and kindness to her that was mature beyond the other two leads um and that while she's there to like enjoy the fun and like come along for the ride more than Cameron is yeah she isn't overbearing or manipulative ab- about it the way that Ferris is as she tries to like get Cameron to enjoy the day so if we think of them as like <laughs> if we think of Ferris and Sloane as Cameron's parents i appreciate Sloane's approach where you know, Ferris is very fantastic, Mr. Foxy, about things like, oh, but let's do it this way. Right. Um, I think she shows great care for both Ferris's desire to, like, have a good day, but also validates and shows care and warmth for, like, Cameron's legitimate worries and anxieties. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really lovely.
1: That is lovely. I think that I mean for me, I lead more Margie just because she's more fleshed out, and I, I got more understanding of what she would be like as a dad. All right, you're there for it, though.
0: Well, I am, but not in the way that you just said. I'm right.
1: <laughs> Very kindly, I am correct. <laughs> All right, great, Margie.
0: I think you're the bad dad for falling asleep in two movies this week.
1: Yeah, I'm the I'm the uh, I'm the sleepy dad.
0: But yes, let's not take attention away from our rad dad,
1: Margie from Persepolis. Be, be our dad. dad. I got some bonus daddies.
0: Oh, was one of them a sad dad? Uh, because we definitely could have a sad dad in Odaisu. <laughs> yeah,
1: this is true. I no, I'm just picking the whole Bueller bunch.
0: Oh, as as bonus daddies of the week,
1: Ferris, Sloan, and Cameron as our bonus daddies. Yeah. The Bueller Bunch is a bunch of babes.
0: Yeah, they are wheat woo. They were all adults when they filmed, so that's...
1: Okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bueller Bunch. Wheat, wheat woo. Uh, okay. Before we get out of here, Rad wreck. Very excited. Uh, promoted this on our on our socials, but uh, I was recently on an episode of a podcast called Jimmy E. Pod. It's a podcast that focuses and deep dives on... All of the songs in Jimmy Eat World's catalog. I am a huge Jimmy Eat World fan and have been for over twenty years. And every time I say that, I just am like, "What? You, what the heck is even life?"
0: You're like 2001 iconic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
1: Um, but it was so funny. Like it was, it was, it was such a cool thing. I came across the podcast and saw they hadn't covered my favorite song of Jimmy Eat World's, which is called "Roller Queen." And I reached out to them and the stars just aligned and I was able to go on the show and uh, unpack uh, my thoughts and feelings about that song and about my history with Jimmy Eat World and chat with uh, David and Justin over there, just about all of our kind of collective thoughts and feelings about Jimmy Eat World. I don't have a lot of Jimmy Eat World fans in my life to deep dive on Jimmy Eat World and talk about all of their, you know, nuances and just kind of bounce between the history and releases and stuff like that. So it was really cool to do that with a couple of fellow Jimmy Eat World fans. So if you even like Jimmy Eat World a little bit, um, or like listening to people talk about thoughts and feelings, which I assume you do if you listen to our show about things that they totally love, I encourage you to go listen to my episode, uh, the most recent episode of Jimmy Eat Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and listen to Roller Queen. It only exists on YouTube, um, is how much of a deep cut it is.
0: Yeah, you are so Uh, alternative. A little
1: too cool (laughs) for school, but whatever. Listen to
0: my favorite song. You can't find it on Spotify or Apple Music. Just
1: saying. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Jimmy Eat Pod, wherever you get your podcasts, that's the Rad Wreck of the Week. Cool. Thank you all for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday and until then we encourage you to slide into our DMs over on Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can get a sneaky peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames for those are in the show notes and we would absolutely love you forever if you could please drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. And that's going to do it for these old boys this week. So until next time,
0: I'm Kylie and my dad's dead.
1: I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat.
0: But remember,
1: not all dads have to be bad.